Welcome to the Photoethics Podcast. I'm your host, Savannah Dodd, and I'm the founder of the Photography Ethics Center. Each week, I'll be talking with an accomplished photographer about the ethics of their practice. Today, in episode number nine, we'll be talking with Justin Carey about solitude and collaboration. Justin Carey's work reconsiders the urban environment, looking for connections to memories and emotions that are often unsettled or uncomfortable, as well as contemplating how the urban environment itself, with its inherent contrast between densely populated spaces and individual solitude, shapes our experience of the world. Carey seeks to invite the viewer into a discourse around universal themes and to create room for collaboration and fair representation in his work. Kerry was shortlisted for the Art Gemini Prize in 2015 and graduated with merit from the Photography MA program at Falmouth University in 2019. Kerry combines his photographic practice with a career as a consultant in the NHS and currently lives in Birmingham, UK. Would you mind telling us a little bit about your work? I started taking photographs in about 2013. I was living in Australia at the time and was actually doing a filmmaking course on the side, sort of in my spare time, and bought a DSLR because I needed to use that to make my films and kind of very quickly just became fascinated with taking photographs rather than making films. And the filmmaking course quite quickly got sort of abandoned and I was sort of just sucked into this world of photography and found myself really quickly just becoming obsessed, actually. It's certainly in the in the early months, I was absolutely obsessed with photography. I was, you know, I was looking at images all day, every day. I was researching photographers. I was trying to learn about how to use the camera. I was just, it was completely absorbing, to be honest. And yeah, so quite quickly... I went from someone who literally never even thought about taking photographs to being really concerned with taking better photographs and, you know, trying to sort of develop despite having no um, sort of grounding in photography. And, yeah, within about six months, I was um, submitting photos to, like, local competitions and things like this. And then... It got to a point where I just felt like I wanted to get some proper training, some proper education, because I always always had this sort of weird self-consciousness about being self-taught and about not having, you know, any sort of artistic background, because all of my schooling had always been um, science-based. So I ended up doing an MA, started that in 2017, and my main focus on my MA was the project that we were talking about today, Reaching Out Into the Dark, which was about urban solitude and loneliness. The real focus of my MA continues, that project continues, and kind of ties in a lot of things that originally got me into photography in the first place, because I was living in Australia. I was very alone at the time when I first started um, taking photographs. And actually that, that theme of solitude has always been in my images, even before I was sort of conscious of it being there. There's so much in that, I think. Um, first of all, I was just wondering if you could tell me like what it was about 
um, photography that appealed to you over film? Well, I mean, I still, I've still got this, you know, sort of silly idea that I'm going to go back and finish that course um, at some point. But for me, photography is, I mean, obviously it's a more individual process, you know, like to make a film, you need people, you need actors, you need crew, you need locations. Whereas with to take photographs, you just need you and your camera and you can sort of enter this really almost meditative process where it's just really you and the camera and you don't need anyone else. You don't need anything else, really. You can make photographs in your house. You don't even need to go outside to do that. So I think it's it's an easier medium than film. So it's easier to perfect. It's easier to practice. And I think it's easier to be accountable as well for what the output is because you can be much more directly involved throughout the process. So it's easier to be directly expressive in photography than it is in film. Master filmmakers manage to do that, but for me it's probably easier to do that in photos. Yeah, that, that's that's really interesting. And as well, you mentioned about being self-taught and maybe a bit of self-consciousness or something about being self-taught. And that's something that's come up a few times, actually, in other interviews I've had in this podcast and how that yeah. sort of creates a certain uh, lack of confidence in, in, in our work. And I definitely feel that as well as, you know, as a photographer, I, I also am not formally trained. And so I really identify with what you're saying, what you're saying there. And um, yeah. and how did you find the the master's? Well, I mean, I've got mixed feelings about the Masters. I think overall I, I was glad to have done it. And I think if I hadn't done it, I would have always been wondering about doing it, you know. So it was an itch that I kind of had to scratch, really. But I was doing it while working full time and there was a lot of other things going on in life. So it was. it always felt like I was having to cram it in to places and I was never able to give it my full, full, full attention and that left me feeling at the end of it that I hadn't gotten the most out of it and it's a lot of money to spend and a lot of time to invest for something that you come out of feeling somewhat dissatisfied from and and that's not from the course that was entirely my own fault but to be honest overall it's been a great experience and it has given me skills and tools which have subsequently proven to be important so yeah it was overall a good thing to do. Was ethics very, very much addressed in that course? Because that's something I'm quite interested in is sort of in these courses, to what extent is ethics given space to talk through some of those more complicated questions? Yeah, there was there certainly was a constant thread of ethical thinking. I think they, they often used other practitioners and their work to stimulate discussion about ethics and to kind of get you to think about, you know, this person made this work in this way. What do you think about that? Do you think that was right? Do you think that was um, exploitative? You know, they kind of stimulated discussion by using other people's work as examples. And I certainly found myself taking stronger positions than maybe I had anticipated um, when those kind of discussions came up. And to be honest, because before I started my um, master's, I largely shut empty streets so the, the idea of ethics wasn't really something I had to really think about so then when I for, for my MA project was having to work with people more the idea of ethics was something I had to engage with more directly 
Absolutely. And do you want to tell us a little bit about that project? So the project is basically trying to just look at how people experience loneliness and solitude in the urban landscape. There's this weird sort of, well, I've certainly felt this, the sense that you, you can live in some a place that's so incredibly densely populated but still feel really alone. You know, I spent many years living in London and, you know, London's the busiest, craziest place, but you often feel like if you could drop dead on the middle of the street and no one would really bat an eyelid, you know, it's, it's a really sort of isolating experience sometimes living in places like that. And so I was trying to look at, at that experience a bit more and try to understand it. And and not just understand it from my perspective. I was What I was really trying to do was look at it from a number of perspectives to hopefully illustrate that this was something that a lot of people experience in different ways. And as the project developed, another aspect that I had to consider was actually it isn't always a negative experience. You know, there are positives to being alone and being isolated. So it was about also trying to represent both sides of that story. Another important part of it for me was to try to sort of try to stimulate discussion and dialogue about the condition. I mean, it's a really, it's a common problem. It's so now regarded as a public health issue. The government's got a department of loneliness. You know, there's there's a significant sort of organisational interest in this problem at the moment. And so part of my um, objective was to really find ways to make the project in some way practically beneficial to people. So that's why I have the, you know, the links towards different organisations on the website. And actually, it's been really interesting how since the project went live, people have just contacted me with various um, reflections about it and also with actually asking me to put information on my website to help connect people. So I've had lots of people contact me say, you know, I've got this the project that I'm doing or this organisation or this resource for people, would you mind adding it to your page? You know, because I think it might it might be helpful and it kind of fits in with what you're doing. And so that's kind of what I was trying to achieve. On one hand, it's really interesting to me that, you know, you're talking about focusing not only on the negatives of solitude and loneliness, but also the positives. And yeah. I think that's quite interesting for me because you're talking also about how um, photography is something that, you know, can be quite productive in solitude as well. So it's interesting sort of that overlap in, in mm. some ways. And and I quite appreciate this idea that you have about, you know, making sure that it's, it's beneficial for people. And I also was really um, interested in the way that you presented this online and the way that you presented the people that you photographed. I believe they're in a section on your website as collaborators. Is that correct? Yeah. Can you talk yeah. a little bit about maybe how you structured that relationship, how you approached them and how you conceive of them as being collaborators? So I think this is something that certainly developed and evolved as the project went along, because initially I just had this idea to shoot it from my own point of view and it would just kind of be about me. And the more I was researching the topic and making work, the, the thing that that didn't really resonate was the fact that it felt quite one-dimensional and I, I realised I had to see this from different angles because this story would be less interesting if it was just about me feeling, you know, isolated in the big city. That's not a very interesting story and also it's less relatable. I had to find a way to look at this from, from 
angles outside of myself and find a way to somehow be able to depict that visually. So, you know, there were people, most of them friends of mine, who were kind of interested in the ideas and were willing to participate in the project. And they participated all in different ways. Some people, some of the people that you see on the website just allowed me to take pictures of them. Some of them, I sort of interviewed them and, you know, used the transcripts to either kind of inform other ideas that ended up becoming pictures or use some of the text on the website. And then um, a couple of people gave me um, some creative writing that they did in response to the themes and some of that made its way onto the website too. And other people just gave me songs that kind of resonated with them about loneliness and solitude and that's kind of what built the project playlist. So there was a lot of things kind of going on. And I think the key thing was for me in terms of thinking of them as collaborators that actually this project couldn't have happened without them. It, it couldn't have, it wasn't possible without those people being involved. And because of the way the project was presented and the way that the work was shown, and because of my idea was to universalise this experience, I was trying to to say or express that this is a situation that many of us feel it doesn't it doesn't you know loneliness doesn't respect your ethnicity or your job or your your financial status it, you know people feel lonely for all sorts of different reasons at different times in life and so I didn't want it to be about me I didn't want it to be about this woman that you might see on the website I wanted it just to be about everyone and so to do that I had to anonymize their contributions and so that was a difficult discussion because what I didn't want to do was make them feel like I was sort of stealing their ideas and stealing their work and presenting it as mine so they had to be seen as true collaborators and the way that I was going to present the work was discussed with them and they had to all be cool with it otherwise I wouldn't have been able to do it that way. Yeah that's a really interesting idea and I think that that is a really interesting predicament as well that you know you want to make it relatable for everybody and you don't want it necessarily to feel um, too individualized, I guess, as, as the experience of loneliness, but at the same time, you know, not erasing them from their own story. Kind of one of the, I guess, overarching ideals of the work is that it unites people. And that's a really sort of incredibly cheesy thing to say. And, you know, but 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 the idea is that this is a, a sort of a unifying idea that we actually, we're all in this together and we're all feeling the same things. And so sort of me being the sole artistic voice just didn't feel right. It just didn't, it didn't sit with the aims of the work that I was trying to make. And um, if I just, if I'd just seen them as, let's say, subjects for portraits and just shot them as, as that, it just, it just wouldn't have been, the way that I wanted the work to be. It just would have been, you know, me saying I feel lonely and I'm going to shoot some people who are also lonely and make you think how great I am at making portraits of people. Like, it, it wasn't about that. That's not what was going on. You know, all the people that are in that work, I spent hours with them. We, you know, we spoke about all different sorts of things. And to be honest, a lot of them shared really sort of intimate and... Um, you know, quite personal things with me about how they experienced different things. And not all of those things made it into the sort of public 
part of the work, but it certainly informed the sort of tone of the work, I think, the sort of somewhat sensitive portrayal of them, I think. Uh, hopefully it did. You know, I, I wanted it to feel like these people were were revealing something to you and I don't think they would have been able to do that unless they felt that they were in a sort of somewhat collaborative interchange with me. Absolutely. And yeah, that's actually something I wanted to ask you is that this is quite a sensitive topic and I can imagine it would have involved some very sensitive conversations. Two questions on that. One, you know, you said that some of that stuff didn't make it in. Was that um, a joint decision or did you sort of take a decision at some points that something just was was maybe too personal or, or not appropriate or the risks were too great to share that? Um, or was it more of a collaborative decision? So, so, so what I did was when I was selecting the text to go with the images on the website, I and before it went live, I gave everyone access to the website, I think maybe three or four days beforehand and sort of said, you know, this is what it's going to look like. You're not going to be credited. Just, you know, feedback to me if there's any problems with what's on there or any issues about how you're portrayed on the website. But actually, the, the most of the work was done before that because it was really about the relationship with the person, you know. And most of the people in that are either friends or very good friends. And there was only one person who I had not met before and who was um, whose details were given to me by someone else. And I re reached out to her and met her. And she was really happy to speak to me. And we spent a day together and we chatted for hours. We went, you know, we went for a big walk and she was, was happy to collaborate with me. For her, it was slightly different because I had to do a bit more groundwork in kind of explaining what I was doing and kind of reassuring her that of how I was going to present her in the work and that was Jane that was Jane with the with the baby so you know I had to kind of explain to her how I was going to deal with her and a picture of her very young child you know and kind of reassure her that I wasn't going to take liberties so for her you know I had to be clear about what how I was going to do things um but essentially it was about the relationship and it was about making them feel like they could trust me with their revelations and that that would inform the work but would not they would not be subject to exposure or embarrassment in the work I guess that's really about about trust building and mm. um, and integrity I guess in terms of how you how you then you know operate with those with those images after the fact they have to have a lot of mm. a lot of trust in you I'm sure to to proceed in that way um, were there any ethical dilemmas that you encountered in the course of making that work or making other work that you could maybe talk about how you fielded that or how you navigated that? I think the main ethical dilemma for for making that work was there was there was a point where the balance between seeking collaboration and in, input from other people and giving my own input was was wrong. So I was actually just getting people to give me all their revelations without giving anything back. And actually that was that was actually very evident in the the visual side of the work that it just it was it was modeled it wasn't very coherent and it wasn't um it wasn't actually reflective of me I mean there was a period I went through earlier on in getting people I was like you know using images that people had selected and I was sort of working with those and it just it just wasn't very coherent and the, the thing I realized was that I wasn't being 
as open and honest myself with my own input into the work as I was hoping to elicit from other people, you know. So that had to change. I had to... So that's when I started shooting myself, for example. I, I had no intention of being physically present in the work initially, but realised I had to do more to first understand why I was making this work, firstly, what where where this had come from in the first place. And once I kind of understood that, it was then about honestly trying to look at that starting with me before I sought to get other people to show me theirs I had to show them mine if that made sense and then the balance changed and I felt less uneasy about the sort of revelations people were making to me I just felt less uneasy about that because I was like okay this is kind of all connecting together with what I am bringing it's making more sense you know people telling me about difficulties finding partners and things like this just felt a little bit exploitative when I was saying nothing at all about my experience at all you know that just felt the balance was wrong there so I had to change that I think it's also quite challenging isn't it because you know so so it's going out as your work as a photographer but then you also have to be so vulnerable in that so so you're sort of uh, doing double time a little bit with that work and I think I think that's really really admirable and really brave as well yeah, it's a hard thing to... I think one thing I've learned through the process for doing the MA, I think, is that I have to shoot things that have some meaning to me or have some resonance with me, I think. And, you know, photography as a, a medium is full of people who are making pictures to have an impact, you know, just for the sake of impact, without necessarily having any kind of higher goal behind that they just want you to say wow that's cool picture you know and that's not really what I'm trying to do it never has been ultimately I'm making photographs to try and understand myself better I think in all truth and so it's it's just frankly dishonest for me to 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 not sort of actively attempt to include myself in my own work that is almost ridiculous what what else do you wish that you'd known when you started out in photography? Because do you mind my asking, how old were you when you started photography? Uh, I would have been mid thirties, about thirty. Okay, so you said five. that you'd already you'd come from a science background, so this was so, sort of a new a new field to you. So I guess you were you were definitely starting from a clean slate in some ways. Yeah, is there anything that you sort of looking back wish that you'd known, and and how did you learn those things? I think. The thing that I wish I'd known sooner was that you can't make good photographs without practice. And and also you can't, you, it's not about your equipment. It's not about, you know, having the new Canon or having the new lens. It's not about that. And I spent so much time in the in the early months just assuming and purchasing a lot of equipment in this sort of weird um, pursuit of better photographs without actually realising that the photographs are coming from in my head. And and, I, and actually, since then, a lot of people have come up to me and sort of said, you know, I'm thinking about getting into photography, but I've only got a X camera and I'm not sure that's going to be good enough. So what camera do you think I should get? And yeah, it's, it's not about the camera. It's really not about the camera. And even now... You know, I mean, the photography industry 
thrives and survives on people like me buying more stuff that they don't need and inciting that desire for the next thing that you actually don't need. And even now, I'm always fighting after that desire to, you know, get something else because it's not about that. It's not about the equipment. It's really not. And actually, I've also learned it's not about the education either. It's, you know, there are pluses and minuses to getting, you know, a sort of formal photographic training, but actually you do not need to have that to make good photographs. So what advice might you give to someone who is wanting to do a similar project to yours, something um, maybe also about a sensitive topic like loneliness or uh, mental health mental health concerns? What, what have you learned in the process of approaching sensitive topics that, that might help others in that situation? And what might you advise them to do? I think planning is really important. Um, I've actually just been reflecting on this because just just this week actually got um, awarded a bursary to do a project about COVID and about the experience of COVID in the um, black community and kind of thinking about how I'm going to do that work has uh, made me think about the differences in approach to when I was preparing to do reaching out and I think the best way to approach ethical challenges is to plan ahead and to really think about all the different things that might arise and figure out how you're going to approach those. Because the problem is, and this happened to me to some degree with uh, my MA project, was what you don't want to do is get to a really sensitive point and be under some kind of time pressure or pressure of events in the project and and you're sort of forced into this really sort of sensitive position where you haven't thought about the the options and haven't thought about how you're going to to do that because actually then you're more likely to default to a less satisfactory approach to the situation which may end up hurting someone else and and for me now looking at this covid project for example this is going to um involve heavily involve my mum and so one of my main concerns already is how am i going to make this work in a sort of um as honest a way as possible and without causing my mum any sort of distress or embarrassment or, you know, how am I going to do that? That's really going to be absolutely fundamental to the project. Um, and so if you can think about that ahead of time and hopefully be be honest in your sort of approach to, the, to those kind of considerations, then I think it's just much easier to deal with them. It's much, much easier. And, and you know, don't get me wrong, it, you, I think you also have to be prepared to be flexible because people may put up barriers or obstacles that you maybe don't anticipate. So you, let's say you might have secured a, someone to work with you and you might assume that they'll be fine with something, but then they might have a quite unexpected objection, which could derail your work if you aren't willing to be flexible and maybe just go in a slightly different direction to accommodate that you know, objection. So I, I just think you have to plan ahead and be honest and be flexible. I think those are three great, great points. I'll definitely highlight those in the in the show notes. Um, and you were talking about getting ready to work with your mom. And I think it's always really interesting to think about how we apply our our professional practice um, when we're working with our families. I, I'm involved in a project about my my late grandfather's experience of dementia. And that was also a very interesting process, you know, to, yeah. to approach family. And 
I found, I don't know if you found this, but I found that it was very hard when I was approaching my family to make sure that they were giving consent because they wanted to consent, not because they wanted to just be supportive because I'm my grandmother's granddaughter. And of course she supports what I do, you know? Um, And so I think making sure that she was genuinely wanting to be involved rather than just being accommodating. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's that's actually a really good point. And I honestly, I guess I'll I'll see as we go, but I'm not sure you can ever necessarily 100% differentiate those two motivations, particularly in your close family members, because they're, they're inevitably going to be somewhat positively disposed towards you, aren't they? So, so it is about, I think that's why you, you have to protect them ahead of time, because they may... They may be, you know, so accommodating that they they switch off their filters that they would have had in other situations. And then if you're not thinking for them about those potential filters, they may end up being hurt. And so so that's why I think it's a really sensitive area. And I'm sure you felt the same in your work too. That Yeah, because because I think that, that motivation to be helpful and to support support what you're doing could could make them more vulnerable, for sure. I'd like to ask everybody who is interviewed as part of this podcast, what does photography ethics mean to you? Or what does it mean to be an ethical photographer? So that's a really interesting question. And I I hadn't thought about that until going through your questions that you sent me. And it's, I think ethics in general is interesting. And in my sort of other job as a doctor, I think about ethics, you know, much more. And, um, I think in photography, ethics means, firstly, I think you have to be honest about where you are as the photographer. You have to accept that you have a position and that you aren't seeking the truth in sort of profound and definite ways, you know, because every photographer's truth is different. And I think you have to accept and acknowledge that. So that's really important because if you aren't willing to accept that you bring your own biases and perspectives to the photographs you make, you can have this massive blind spot where you aren't able to kind of conceptualise the idea idea that the things that you see may not be the same as the things that other people see. So you you have to kind of get that first. And um, I think to practice ethically as a photographer, you have to then think, okay, how am I my own biases going to influence the sort of work I'm making and how is that going to affect other people? Because, you know, there's obviously this whole tradition, particularly in documentary photography, of, you know, sort of white gaze being the predominant way that things have been seen throughout the history of the medium, you know. And traditionally, documentary photography has been concerned with um, photographing disadvantaged you know, underprivileged, exploited communities around the world, often non-white communities by white photographers. And so, I mean, that's massively problematic for all sorts of different reasons. But I think that itself kind of illustrates why ethics are so important, because you ha- you have to first ask yourself, why, why do I want to make this work? And what am I trying to say? And if I say this thing, who is that going to affect and who might disagree with me? And, you know, so I just think you have to be willing to see things from as many angles as possible, acknowledge that there might be blind spots and then tread carefully because I think everyone has the right to make photographs. And I think I think there is obviously a view that 
people should only make photographs within their own communities and people should be allowed or should be empowered to create work within their community rather than someone from a different community kind of coming in and making that work instead. And I, I, I think that's a, a contentious idea. I'm not sure I necessarily agree with that. Um, but it certainly is true that if you are coming into a, a community that isn't your own and that doesn't have... Um, doesn't have the values that you might have that you that it's your responsibility I think as the practitioner to to consider that to seek to understand the different perspective and to also mitigate for all the potential issues that might arise from that clash of perspectives it's absolutely crucial um and it's kind of irresponsible to just go in firing away and, you know, go back to your own community with these great pictures. I just think that's a really irresponsible idea. So to me, it's a, to practice ethically is about actively seeking to ensure that your work does not advance on the back of other people's disadvantage or misfortune and that you are actively seeking to empower the people that you photograph or that you interact with in whatever way that might be. It's not necessarily, you know, necessarily a big thing, but I just think you have to find ways to make your photography, you know, inclusive. And that there are lots of ways to do that. And so I think one of the ways to work towards being ethical is to be inclusive and collaborative, because then I think you are automatically encouraging or inviting the views of other people if you are actively seeking to collaborate, you know. It's less likely to be just your idea, your view, your perspective. It, it kind of, it's an insurance policy against that in some ways. Yeah, absolutely. Is there anything that I should have asked but didn't? I think at the moment, in the, the way the world is right now, there's obviously a lot of focus on, um, you know, ethnic minority communities and the representation of those communities. And I think photography has a big part to play in that and a, a sort of big history of you know contributing to negative representations of certain communities and so w one of the things I'm thinking increasingly about recently is about um, how people use their platforms and how photographers choose to get their work out there and, and I think it's really difficult for someone like me and sort of emerging photographer to use that horrible phrase who's coming out of an MA the sort of options for you to progress your career all go through organisations and media that are sort of run by and curated by, you know, white people, to be frank. And and so I think you, you're always being, uh, your career is largely dependent on patronage by people who often do not have any investment or interest in your perspective you know, and and I think the same is true for women and also for other minority communities where actually you don't find people like that in prominent positions in the art world, you know, the art world. And so I think there is a question about how do you negotiate that, actually? And that's something I'm thinking more about lately and trying to figure out because I feel like the time that we're living in now is even more demanding of us to be responsible about how we use our platforms and how we tell stories that more accurately represent the world that we live in. And I'm increasingly of the, of the view that we have to really strive to make 
our own platforms, actually, because I think the sort of established platforms are not designed to serve the interests of a number of communities and are unlikely to adapt to do so in in the near future. And that's, again, why I think it's important to collaborate, because the more people band together, the more likely they are to have a powerful voice. Unfortunately, I feel like there's a lot of truth in what you're saying, that there's not a lot of drive for the organizations to change and to evolve unless it's hurting them financially or causing bad press. And it shouldn't, it shouldn't take that for, for people to recognize that there's a lack of inclusivity, a lack of diversity and a lack of various different experiences that are represented in these, in these places. Absolutely. Um, Do you have any recommendations for organizations to improve in that, in that arena, or even for an organization like mine to, to do better at being more inclusive, especially among um, photographers of color? I think my my number one um, recommendation is, and something I feel very strongly in my work as a doctor, is, is I think you always have to be mindful of who is in the room with you. When, you're make, when decisions are being made, who is in the room? That is the number one question I think you have to ask. And I think if you're in a position to control who is in the room, then you need to look around the room and... If everyone in the room is the same as you, there's a big problem there. And you have to you have to see that. You have to. And if you fail to see that, it's a failure of leadership, it's a failure of planning. It's just a fa- it's just a massive fail. And unfortunately, there are too many organizations where everyone in the room is the same and no one's ever thought that's any kind of problem. And I think if people are in a position to to change that then then that is my kind of number one just look around the room. Just look around the room. Just look around the room and ask yourself, should anyone else be in this room? Because in a lot of cases, there isn't, and that's a big problem. It's, it's, it's a endlessly frustrating. That, and and uh, people, yeah, people often don't even realise that that's happened until it's pointed out to them. And their initial reaction is to be defensive. And then when you actually are objectively confronted with the facts, you know, just look around the room. Look around the room. That, yeah, that's my advice. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of the Photoethics Podcast. The aim of this podcast is to share new insights about photography ethics with others. So if you heard something you liked, please share this podcast with someone who would appreciate it. The links to all things mentioned in this episode number nine are available in the show notes at www.photoethics.org. Join me next week when we hear from Alison Baskerville on negotiating your own identity. If you're enjoying this podcast, why don't you check out our online courses? We've developed a series of three online courses designed specifically for photojournalists and documentary photographers. We discuss questions like, how do we achieve accuracy in our photographs? What's the relationship between power and consent? And when, if ever, should we intervene? These online courses come with perks, like access to an online community group for discussion and Q&A opportunities with me, the course leader. Enroll today at www.photoethics.thinkific.com 
or go to www.photoethics.org and click online courses. Thank you.